fellow. The fact that I am Toby Edok will only be revealed at the end of the episode, and it will be a massive surprise because I am disguised as a very convincing Frenchman. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, it's our first open-air Who's Round. I could have gone to this nice lady's house because she lives on the same road as Bernard Holly, who I did not long ago, but I'm not very organised. So she's kindly met me at Euston Station, and we're on a roof having a coffee and a cup of tea. And so I'm going to ask her to tell me who she is and why I'm talking to her about Doctor Who. Hello, I'm Sue Upton. I used to be a PA, a director's assistant, a production assistant. We have many titles at the BBC... And in my time, I worked on about 34, 35 episodes of Doctor Who. I, apart from, say, the producer and the director, I would be the only person that would go through from day one of production to the very last day of production. So I was with the director when we were setting up when we were casting, it would be me, I'm afraid, ringing in the agents and saying, hello, can Sir John Gilgood come and do Doctor Who? Oh, good heavens, he wouldn't be interested. <laughs> um, right the way through to with the first assistant setting up, well, planning it, what's done, which day, where, when, whatever, through to the whole shoot, I would be doing the on-location filming, doing film continuity, um, notes for the editor, which takes to use. Um, then into the studio, the, cam- the days of camera scripts, lots of typing. Um, to the through the whole recording in the gallery next to the director, um, talking the whole time to the cameraman, um, and through the entire post production, through the editing. I'm the one with all the notes, which take to use. Um, to the music recordings, the radiophonic workshops, whatever was involved, I was there. You were the glue. I was the glue. How kindly you put it. Not the Evo stick. No. I I would hope much more malleable than that. (laughs) But yes. So I guess, but it's a mixture of a job, so where you have to be, I guess, very efficient and very clear in what you're doing, but also you're dealing with actors, so there must be a side of you where you also have to be quite... Um, as you say, malleable and massaging of egos and things. Funny you should say that. Um, in the days to a few years before I finally, having done a life sentence at the BBC and retired at 60, we had to all apply for our jobs again um, four years before I left. And I, we had to fill in forms to say why we thought we should have the job and what aspects of how we work could, you know, our qualities. And one of the phrases I use, um, I think I put down ability to be able to talk to actors and work with actors no matter whether they were a knight of the realm or an EastEnder. Because after all, all actors, I don't know who said this originally, but someone said, after all, all actors probably go to Sainsbury's and go to the loo, just like the rest of us. 
since I've li- I live in Crouch End, so uh, I know a lot of actors get Ocado deliveries nowadays. But uh, yeah, that's there, <laughs> you there you go. Although I did but, see yes, Peter Capaldi have... in Tesco. Uh-huh. You do, I mean, yes, you do, you have to adjust, because I think uh, certainly with film continuity, which has always been hard, I think it, actors always, most actors see you as, oh, my God, she's coming towards me, what have I done wrong? <laughs> and it isn't necessarily they've done something wrong. Um, but... To get over that, you've got to have a manner, hopefully, um, which sometimes is easy, sometimes is not. Yes. Well, it's and it's interesting getting because uh, I've talked to somebody else yes. about who worked on um, this season of Doctor yes. Who, yes. who was Christine Rawlins, the costume designer. I have worked with Christine. Who yes. who didn't enjoy her time on the show at all, uh, bless her. Um, but I, I guess it was moving moving a black-and-white series that was done all year round into a colour one that was done for half of the year. It was a sort of paradigm shift in the way that Doctor Who was being made. Yes, and I think when I worked with Christine, she was certainly one of the top designers who used to do a lot of the classic serials, etc., etc. And there was always an attitude um, amongst some people, and this not Christine, I'm sure, but throughout perhaps the whole of drama oh I'm working on a play for today oh I'm doing a lovely little classic serial Um, I'm doing Doctor Who well the work's the same the jobs are the same Um, if you no one thing is better than another I have never thought that but with some people it is I mean when I did Who's my god I learnt how to do drama and the pressure, which I'm sure is just as much now on the current Doctor Who's, there's never enough time. There's never, you know, you learn, God, you learn fast. I, I'm not convinced, you know, when everyone says, oh, God, the sets were wobbly and all of that. I was never aware of that. You know, and I'm in the gallery watching every shot. Yeah. Um, and certainly I don't remember doing, oh, we'd better use a different take because the sets were wobbly. Um, I think... Techno- I mean, it's we were. <laughs> who'd believe it? We were cutting edge technology then. Yeah. Well, and actually, and I, that's I think, the I think... difference. Is I'm sure that I think they they were pushing the boundaries of the time. I mean, our guys in um, visual effects, video effects, were way ahead of everybody else then. Yeah. Um, but that was the limit of knowledge and technical ability so I think they were as good as they could be yeah I think that series in particular is very mm. strong because yeah. the Doctor's exiled to Earth Earth is yeah. cheaper than Mars uh, and you did seven parties and the budget and we, gets amortised over which seven which were episodes. rehearsed which were any script irregularities could be ironed out then performances are set the difference now nobody rehearses no. for the Reasons that, you know, they're all done on location, they're all done, it's a different... But um, I think it's harder for actors Yeah. nowadays, but maybe that's, that's, that's the only way that most actors now probably have ever known of a younger 
Yeah, yeah indeed, mm. indeed. Well, talking of actors, we'll yeah. look, look, let's look down the cast list and see who we've got. Any any memories of the cast of Silurians? It's, it's a pretty hefty cast. Yeah. Carolyn John, what a lovely lady. As Liz Shaw. I mean, this was my first one. Yeah. So I'm walking into, again, a show that I used to watch before, never ever thinking one day I will be working on that. Um, Nick Courtney, I think it was his second... It was the unit... A, a delightful man, and very... Not pompous... I mean, delight to be with. No problem, no whatever. Fulton Mackay. Norman Jones, Peter Marr. I mean, they were, they're were they all stunning actors. Good actors, aren't good they? Good actors. Good, good, solid cast. Yes. And you also um, um, had to... Um, I mean, in terms of the studio uh, mm. requirements, but you had to go to Marylebone Station and kill kill everybody and have this mass sort of... It was... Yes, it was, you know. I'd never been to Marylebone Station before. And that's how I often used to... Oh, where are we filming this episode? <laughs> oh, that's good, haven't been there before. But, yeah, and what was extraordinary is that... And I've forgotten that... It didn't seem to be any problem that we went to Marylebone Station. Whereas for what has come in now, try filming on Marylebone Station or anywhere in central London, it's a nightmare. But we just potted off there and Well, it all seems quite ad hoc as well, because the ticket collector that dies is Trevor Ray, who was the assistant script editor. Yes, well, that was... um, (laughs) Trevor occasionally reminded us that he was an actor. (laughs) I see. And it was handy. He was there and thought, there you go. And he gave good ticket inspecting. He gave good ticket inspecting and, of course, couldn't appear again. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nor could Geoffrey Palmer, who also um, succumbed to the plague. He did. He, again, I worked with him a lot later in um, one of the... with Peter Davison, when Peter was um, doing Campion. Campion. And Geoffrey was in it then. And, I mean, shall we say actors coming in, oh, sci-fi, it's, it's a world I... Oh, well, I'll just say my lines, and I'm not terribly sure what's going on around me, but um, utterly professional. I think acting is lying convincingly. Yes, <laughs> I mean, it was before blue screens and things, and, you know, how can an actor act? And they're still doing that, you know... Andy Serkis Um, uh, it's the ability of the actor even then to convince you um, there's only so many corridors you can run up and down (laughs) (laughs) well and you were back pretty quickly after Silurians and you did Inferno which um, is is, I think generally considered to be one of the show's um, Mm. great achievements, but was also blighted by the fact that Douglas Camfield fell ill halfway through the production. He did. Um, I love working with Dougie. He extremely organised, almost not quite military precision, but very knew what he wanted, knew how to achieve it, planned it. You could... It was a very efficient way. Um... He had a uh, an irregular heart. He would either go too fast or too slow, etc. Um, which I think he had as a pacemaker. Pacemaker, yeah. yeah. And it just just temporarily had a little blip. But 
you'd do anything for him. Yeah. And you had to spend a lot of Inferno at um, at Berry and Wiggins um, factory complex. At who? At who? Yes, it That's what I. It wasn't chosen deliberately. Um, I'm not sure we needed, you know, something like the refinery, the the pipes, etc. And I'm not sure how our production manager got there. But when we found out it was at who seemed appropriate. It, we had to go. And got, in, got into the Guinness Book of Records for Roy Scammell falling off... Uh, and shooting himself, shooting himself. For falling off, exactly. <laughs> and it, they, we, the budgets were tight. We could have six men. Um, so one minute they're playing unit soldiers or they're playing the baddies on the top. And because Roy, their stuntman... Um, was often the problem of stuntmen the stuntmen and will only do their stunts. They can't be extras. But somehow we managed to have the stuntmen, or Roy Scammell would do the big fall, and the others were would do both. Well, funny enough, because Roy was doubling for Derek Ware, who played that yes, part, and Derek was right. a stuntman, but had a stunt double because he was acting, and therefore... If he died, it would be a problem, whereas if Roy had died, it wouldn't have been. Exactly. <laughs> Funny you should say that. And that reminds me of a certain Pertwee story. It was on Demons. Oh. Um, John always said, I'll do my own stunts. I've driven racing cars, I've driven motorbikes, I've done all that in my time. But health and safety... We must have a stuntman to... He had to leap out of Bessie, the car, I think, and grab a motorbike and yeah. ride off. Yeah. Unfortunately, that morning, May the 1st, I think it was, when six inches, if not more, of snow had fallen in Marlborough, and we were in the airfield on the top of the downs where the unit would sweep the snow off, so it was rather slippery and icy, and John insisted on doing it. Uh-oh. <laughs> Take one. Bike slips. John skids. Falls off. Unfortunately, most of the crew ran towards the bike to see that it was all right, <laughs> on the basis that we only had one bike... And there was a stuntman there that could probably uh, double for double John. For John uh, uh. He was due to double for John. But that wasn't planned. It really was that, oh, my goodness, John's skidded off. I mean, he was fine. But about six or eight people all rushed to the bike. <laughs> and it was all right, sir. The bike was all right. That's all right. Then. Yes, yes. So That's, It's another classic. You've chosen your story as well, because The yeah. Demons is another very oh, highly thought of one. I, li- I, I think that was my favourite one. Um, it seems to be the era's favourite, in terms of the people that yeah. worked on the show. Was it partially because you all got to spend a, week, a couple of weeks in a nice village? Uh, two weeks in Aldborough. Oldbourne. Oldbourne. Yeah. That's right, near Marlborough. Um, it was nice to be away. Again, for reasons that we were supposed to be having a multi-camera OB unit, three cameras. So on location, we could do more on location in the, in the time. 
um, except something happened there or the unit was needed to go off and do some horse racing or something sporty. I'm not sure. And the only way to get the schedule done was have three film cameras running, which is technically was not as easy as it seems. And But all I remember, I was doing about 90 hours a week. Oh, crumbs. If not more, before how it affected me. But it was nice to be away. And in the, the village... It was in our control. Everyone there was very friendly. And we could just get on and film. And practically everything was done in this sort of radius. And I think actors, you're out of a studio. You're, it was good. And, of course, uh, it had Roger Delgado, who I, I think we all missed. He and John got on very well. It's, and it's quite it's a nice Doctor Who does eccentric villages quite well so yes. you've got you've got Damaris Heyman uh, uh, exactly Chris cast it very well oh and of course we this was the show that of course had Nick Courtney's favourite line of the, the five round rapid, yeah, uh, chat with the wings yes yes yes, yes. <laughs> who nobody could listen and keep a straight face and Nick uh, uh, Christopher Ray opened a lighting now, shop. It, it it wasn't one of the world's largest parts, no. shall we say, but it, I think we knew he had something to do with lighting shops, but it was very early on that before he became who he became. Indeed. Yeah. And part of your job, we're, skip, we're skimming through Z cars on you now. Uh, yes. So part of your job was you, were you just allocated different yeah. series, and Absolutely. did you have a preference for genre or show that you worked on? No. Um, the very when I first came, I'd done worked four years in schools radio. Luckily, working with actors there, and I wanted always wanted to go into work in drama and television because of what the jobs were in television um, and eventually was accepted or allowed to go and work in drama after I'd done a year or so doing documentaries or features which at least got me used to filming and day one you started on Z-Cars in the drama department there were three drama departments Serials I was allocated to. Um, and day one, I actually had to go into a gallery and take over. The PA had gone sick. And I'd never done a gallery before, calling shots. And, but you learn. Baptism of fire. Baptism of fire. I had several of those. But it's one way to learn. So, And I did in my first year in drama. Each said cars took four weeks from planning through to... And I, in the first 12 months, I did 11 blocks. I knew how to do drama by the end of it. You, you learnt on the job. I learnt on the job. <laughs> and that was followed by 14 episodes of Doctor Who. I was allowed to do Doctor Who as the next step up. Uh, although up is not the right word, I suppose it's experience. In terms of technical challenges yeah, for yeah. a show like Doctor Who. And it was... Classic serials came later, but actually they were far more easier to do. <laughs> I had perhaps a little more time to do them in. And, I mean, for the, for the number of shots, say, that Dougie Camfield would schedule on Inferno, and the, 
one or two people in the business may faint when they hear this, but we were doing between 40 and 50 slates a day. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yes, they were simpler shots than you would do now, but that's still 40 or 50 different slates a day. And Demon's was a similar pressure, done differently. That was normal. Yeah, well, often people say it wasn't actually the Doctor Who's budget that was the problem with it, it was the time you it. Had was to the do time it. factor. And a, a much later Doctor Who I did, which was the last one I did, involved medieval jousting. Yes, the King's Demons. The King's Demons. Shot in winter, which is not renowned for having long hours of daylight... We had the medieval nights jousting. It was one of the darkest overcast days, and we had, I think, half a day to shoot it. Um, There was no, we'll come back tomorrow. There's no waiting. It just shouldn't have been done at that time of year, but that's another matter. Luckily, we had one of the best cameramen then around who used to do a lot of the single plays who shot the entire thing without lights I mean because lighting budget was extremely low I think we had some a couple of very small lights and somehow it all came out but we had to shoot it and that stuntman that's all you know the whole caboodle you had to do it you had to do it then then um, if you're on a longer schedule, you can maybe swap days or ahead. But you, I think it was only four or five episodes. We, I think we had about. It was three, only two. Kings Demons. Two, that's only right. Two it was episodes. two. So I think we only had two or three days filming, and one of those was somewhere else. So that was it. It had to be done. Oh, and it was raining. Sounds like you had a lot of fun on the Kings Demons. <laughs> it, it was freezing. But yes. It. It was a very, let's put it this way, it was an extremely ambitious script. With a robot that didn't work properly. Yes, and the first scene in the studio, in the first episode, I think ran about ten minutes, if not more, of a 20, a 30-minute episode. And the director was trying to shoot it all in one take which took an extremely long time to block in and the pressure on him not to do that was immense Um, but that's what was written right so you have to do what is written yeah is this why then that um John Nathan Turner always seemed to want to cast Doctor Who up. And it's part of that, because if you've got Gerald Flood and Fred Windsor and Isla Blair... Who is one of the great gigglers. John encouraged casting well-known names. Um, And we were really lucky to have them, etc. But it, it was technically to get... We had minstrels playing live... 
yeah. lute players playing live. It's a big had, banquet scene. It was the it, big banquet scene. We had dogs. We had whatever. You cut to shoot. It could. It was a physical impossibility to do. You needed to get your cameras into the set to get what was happening. You couldn't shoot it. When it's that length, you couldn't shoot it all in one go. Sure. You had to do it more on the film nature of sh- take your cameras in, shoot them, stop recording, whatever, whatever. But that was sort of anathema to Doctor Who. Yeah. There wasn't enough time. There wasn't enough. To, so The King's Demons is, is one that you... It's amazing it got done. Right. So it's not one that you, you remember particularly fondly. The King's it was Demon. fraught. Fraught. Well, but it was done. It, everything got recorded. It, um, I'm not sure that Peter was happy. I mean, a lot of take ones had to be accepted, let's put it like that, when the director certainly, and a lot of people, would like to have gone for a take two or three. Well, back to happier times, because we... we, we Which was a shame. We, yeah, it was, yes. And that, was the, that ended up being the last one of the season as well. Yes. Because the strike got rid of the That's next right. story. So yeah. the season ended on a bit of a yeah. damp squib with a yeah. broken robot. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and moving parts of scenery. That one or two, and haven't I run down this corridor before? No, just turn around and run the other way. It might come in useful somewhere. And I think if you look closely, you can see when Michael J. Jackson is dead that he's giggling. Um. <laughs> and he and Alan Blair, I'm afraid, were awfully giggly for probably it kept them sane. <laughs> Have some of your coffee. Have yeah. some of your coffee. It hasn't gone cold. Part two of my chat with Sue, because she has plenty more to say, many episodes still to cover, and has never spoken about her time on the show before, so she deserves a second instalment, uh, will be in a couple of podcasts' time, because the next one is Podcast 50, and these were created to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, so the next episode is very special indeed. Uh, It's with someone barely associated with the show who remembers nothing about it. Or is it... Uh, Sue will nominate her charity at the end of her next one. So in the meantime, would you please donate to Dermatrust, a charity trying to improve the lives of people with serious skin conditions and the mental health issues that are often a sad inevitability for sufferers. It's one that's close to my heart and can be found at www.dermatrust.org.uk. I'd be so very grateful. Uh, tune into Podcast 50 next. I can't quite believe I got this one. War. Doctor Who, The Companion Chronicles. The war to end all wars. You need to know something that happened before I was king. When I was with the Doctor, the real Doctor. Just look into their eyes. A huddled mass of men and women. Like cattle, herded in their hundreds. They all moved in the same direction. Everyone's got to be in uniform. Stephen! Dodo! Get away while you can! He's an old man. What are you going to do with him? You know the rules. He's a subversive, so he will be shot. We are proud to announce a grand new offensive. They brainwashed you. We shall send them out to win! Then they unleashed us out into the churned-up mud. We shall redouble our efforts. You run. Hard and fast through the smoke and fire and dust. That's why you gave up the throne. The ground falls away underneath you and you still keep on. You won't see each other again. Hot bullets hiss by. We are 
Energy shielding, some kind of array. We shall collect all resources, all available personnel, and we shall send them out to win. Across the scorched and ravaged earth, into the enemy fire. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com.